Welcome to the Power of Partnership podcast. I'm Rianne Eisler, President of the Center for Partnership Systems. This podcast brings you voices from the partnership movement, people using partnership practices to build a world that values caring, nature, and shared prosperity. The Power of Partnership podcast is hosted by Cherry Jacobs-Pruitt, a health policy and partnership scholar. Today, Cherry interviews Tim Selden, author, educator, and president of the Montessori Foundation and chair of International Montessori Council. And now on to the POP podcast, showing how we can nurture the love of learning in all children. Welcome, Tim, and thank you so much for joining us for the Power of Partnership podcast. I'd like to begin by asking you to share the difference between education systems that are really grounded in partnership ethos versus those types of education systems that really come from a very entrenched domination ideology or focus? <laughs> well, there are very in few. In a nutshell. <laughs> there are very, very few systems in the world that are not uh, teaching children on the basis of domination. I mean, the assumption is that children are lazy and won't do what they need to do unless somebody either bribes them or coerces them. So there's normally a government involved and has ideas about what children need to know. And some of that has to do with literacy and, you know, skill with arithmetic. And some of it has to do with being a good citizen or patriotic and obedient. Uh, but I'd say domination is the norm. Now, there are degrees. You know, we don't see too many schools that cane children in public these days, although it does happen, and I have seen it. Um, we don't see the the dunce asses and the uh, sitting kids in the corner, but, you know, sending kids to the office or suspension or, or frankly, you know, living in fear. I mean, the average modern American public school has a security guard and has, you know, some kind of metal detector and you know there's limited ways of getting in and out and they live in fear of someone coming in and shooting i'd say that's you know i don't i'm not suggesting they're creating that dominator culture but the kids are certainly experiencing a culture that's not one of of safety and security and and freedom from fear and again i don't blame the schools for that but it is really sad that so many schools have to do it. I think also just in a normal public school uh, or many private schools, I imagine, uh, there may be a PA system where, you know, you're hearing announcements throughout the, the day of, you know, will will Johnny Jones please come to the office? Or remember, today is Hopscotch Day and you all need to bring your uh, tickets for the, the big game tomorrow to, you know, whatever. Uh, and this just interrupts children's concentration and and sense of being able to just quietly do their work or to really attend. So it, it, it's always amazing to me. We're talking so much 
in education these days about executive function skills, which is essentially the ability to stay focused, to follow through, to organize your own time, to resist temptation and so forth. But we throw so many obstacles. There are schools that are child honoring and that very deliberately try to create a culture where we're not doing that. So I think in part, you really got to go to the deeper question. What does it take to create a partnership school? So again, Rianne uh, Eisler in her thinking talks about needing three things, a partnership structure, a partnership process, and a partnership content. Montessori has all three. Um, specifically, a partnership structure means that the way the school is organized, its policies have got to be oriented to seeing each child as a universe of one, where we recognize they learn in, in different ways, they learn at different paces, and they have different interests. And yes, there are things that in our society at this particular time in history, there are skills, there's knowledge that we would expect a, a well-educated human being to understand or to be able to do. There are also things that kids need to learn, but kids don't learn at the same pace and they don't learn in the same way. And anyone who thinks you can teach a course day by day and, and you're gonna actually achieve a reasonable level of knowledge across the board, unless you stack the deck, by gathering together kids who are good at doing school um, is really not thinking very clearly. It's just not what happens. You get a bell curve of achievement. In Montessori, we recognize kids are different. We recognize that whatever we do with kids, some of them are gonna be absolutely in tune with it and they'll, they'll ring like a bell, they'll be excited, they'll be, absolutely fascinating and want to learn more and there'll be other kids who are okay and other kids who really are turned off and or resistant or anxious or feel phobic about that recognizing that people learn in different ways and different paces part of what you're trying to do is create a relationship where the child is ready to learn that means as much as anything else they have to feel safe in front of their friends because what causes most stress in school is not the teacher it's not the teacher causing most of the pain it's the other students in and outside of school bullying whatever you want to call it the laughing the snickers the dirty looks and so creating a culture where kids really don't do that to each other is essential obviously to get to that culture you need to have a system that really values that culture. Partially, we do it by having multiple ages together to first allow kids to learn from older kids because every kid wants to do what the big kids can do. They're all <laughs> fascinated by the big kids. Secondly, it's really good for a kid to be in that position of entering the experience, the middle of the experience, and the oldest in the experience. So we design our schools around children and our policies of, again, how we structure the day, uh, having kids in a community 
where there's minimal turnover from one year to the next and a, a shall we say, a development of a class culture or a community culture that doesn't get torn apart when we have the summer break. And by the way, I don't know why we have a summer break because we're no longer sending the kids off to the country to help with harvest, but we do do a summer break and everyone's used to it. And that's what they think has got to happen. And then we bemoan the loss of learning after three months of basically watching cartoons or doing whatever they do during the summer. Why can't those recreational things be built into the school day, the school year? I don't know. Why can't kids take vacation when they want to take vacation with their families? I don't know. You get a certain number of days of school, you accomplish a certain amount. So again, I think it's all about systems. And to do this correctly, you have to have a real plan for preparing your teachers, and you've got to overcome a lifetime, in most people's cases, of being indoctrinated into a totally different culture and a totally different idea of how children relate to each other and how children relate to adults and how school is done. And that's hard. So helping teachers to learn how to do it in a totally different way, which is not only how to, how to evaluate learning and how to, to report on learning to the administration, to the family, to the student, um, but it's also on how do you facilitate a child's love of learning? How do you, how do you inspire a sense of wonder? How do you get them really interested? How do you get them? I mean, they need to move. Nice. The last thing that, that Rianne talks about, though, in addition to partnership structure, partnership process, and we've only glanced on those two things, is partnership content. And for what it's worth, Montessori comes the closest of anything we know now in terms of covering the content that Rianne speaks about in Tomorrow's Children. And we do it imperfectly. I mean, one of the reasons why I found her book really interesting is that she took Montessori, she mentions Montessori again and again and again as a point of departure and suggests other things that one could do. And um, as a Montessori teacher, educator, and, and researcher, I certainly find what Rianne imagined back when she wrote that book to be exciting and important. And one of the projects she's asked us to begin at the Montessori Foundation is to try to get people from both within the Montessori educational community, which is pretty large, 100,000 educators in the U.S., um, and anyone from the outside who's interested to begin to try to take the ideas that she wrote about in that book. We hope there'll be a second edition updating it sometime in the near future. But even if she, they don't, Rianne, in her various books, most recently, Nurturing Our Humanity, um, really speaks about things that children ought to know. Children ought to have access to it, whether it's about the bonobo or about, you know, uh, the history of humanity and what archaeology is revealing to us. As Margaret Mead was asked and answered once, you know, when does civilization begin? And she said, it's when we find the first skeletal remains of um, a femur that was broken and healed because 
for that to happen, the people of the clan had to care enough to bring water and to provide food for this person until they were able to heal, which would have been an extended period of time. That's an important example of what children need to know. Has there been violence in human history? Of course. Is there violence in the world? Yes. Are we capable of something better? Yes. And that's what we're trying to do is teach kids, children not just about it in theory. We want to teach them to live it, to do it every day, just as second nature. Can you speak a bit about the partnership-based systems of education and the preparation that they're providing our youth, our children and youth, for being successful adults, for being able to be functioning adults in this rapidly evolving, technologically oriented culture? Well, again, I have seen very few schools that I would call partnership-oriented other than Montessori schools, but I have seen some. And the common thread that I see across them is young people who look at those schools as the best educational experiences they had, whether they attended them only for a few years or all the way, um, that they encourage them to find their own voice, to think for themselves, to think deeply, to think outside of the box. So they're usually kids who feel like they have agency in their life. They were given choice, they were given respect. They seem to have really good people skills. They certainly tend to be more oriented to thinking outside of the box and initiating projects and coming up with novel solutions. So if you Google, for example, the word uh, Montessori Mafia, you'll come up with many tens of thousands of articles, mostly from the world's financial press and business press, talking about the uncanny number of innovators and leaders around the world who attribute their monastery education to what they are. Somebody suggested if it's almost like it was a conspiracy, which is where the mafia came <laughs> in. Um, but I think that basically you see higher levels of mental health, they may or may not have the highest test scores, but the level of mental health and happiness seems to be much, much higher. So I think that's some of, of what I have sensed over my years. I mean, certainly running a monastery school myself for almost 50 years now, I've, I've rarely had to deal with a discipline problem of any significance. And normally when a child does do something inappropriate, that just becomes an opportunity for a real discussion and a moral lesson among the people affected where they figure it out together instead of simply, you know, punishing somebody. So, Tim, what, what next for policymakers, educators, parents, students? What needs to happen to transform education systems across the world to partnership-based models such as Montessori? Well, short, I mean, I can tell you that most colleges of education in America, from what I have been told and from what I've heard from attending meetings with the deans of these schools of education, they're, they're well aware of modern brain research. They know that the way schools are traditionally organized are 
not logical. They're inconsistent with what would be best practice. They're desperately trying to help teachers to learn how to make change. And what they say is we send these young people out into the classrooms and they very quickly become disillusioned because they get there and they're told this is what you're going to teach and this is the pacing guide you're going to follow and this is this is the test you have to prepare kids to take and this is the consequence if your kids don't look good um you know it, it's very very difficult i think that go ahead we we work on it in multiple ways we we, we look at it from the point of view of trying to help the people who are making the decisions at schools, the, the people in the state legislatures, the people in the state departments of education, the local school board, the principals, we're trying on the one level to help them to see there is another better way. There's a very interesting documentary that was made about Montessori for that purpose uh, just a few years ago called Inside Montessori. And I certainly recommend anyone who's listening to this who's seriously interested in learning more, get a hold of that, that documentary. It can be streamed online. Um, Inside Montessori attempts to explain Montessori to non-Montessorians. And it does so in a way that's oriented to the inner cities and the rural poor and, and to underserved populations, showing how Montessori is being used around the country in public and private settings to make a real difference in the lives of children. Uh, so first you have to get people to at least be aware something else might be part of the answer. Uh, secondly, we've got to get more research. We've got some good research out there, but it's usually done by people who have a direct connection to Montessori, which is obviously going to be suspect. So we need more and more research done on fully implemented monetary programs by people who are dispassionate and objective outside evaluators. Uh, and that's beginning to happen. There's a research center at the University of Kansas, for example, that has a national journal of research done in the United States. Other countries have been doing this far longer than we have. Um, thirdly, we need to try to influence our universities, our schools of education, to help them to understand that if they really want to help their, their teachers to learn how to do it, this may not be the only thing they can do because most of the programs their teachers, teacher graduates will go into will not be Montessori, but increasingly we're seeing universities setting up uh, or affiliating with Montessori teacher education programs to give them a holistic systems approach. Because if you train teachers correctly, there's a reasonable chance they'll know how to create and sustain these kinds of programs. If we really want to do something, we've got to reach parents to help them to, again, begin to understand there really are time-tested, globally tested, every different culture. I mean, every country in the world except North Korea has Montessori schools. Some of the biggest schools in the world are Montessori schools. Um, just look up the Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, the city Montessori School in Lockdown, India has 46,000 students, I think, now under wow. one administrative control. Um, 
so this is something that the rest of the world is really running with very quickly and it's america that's the most resistant um or it's certainly among the most resistant we we'd like to see it grow faster than it is now but the more parents understand it the more likely we are to get the kind of change and whether they call it montessori or they unpack it and say these are things we want in our schools again there's no one right way to educate a child. The, the best schools design for differences and the best schools see each child as a unique human being. So we're not suggesting that one thing is right for everybody, but we do think that in if we're going to survive as a species, we better be teaching children how to live together in some kind of peace and mental health. Wow. Thank you so much, Tim. And thank you again for being here to share all your wisdom and expertise. I wonder, do you have any additional final words you'd like to share with our audience today? Well, Rafi, uh, the musician, children's musician, had a song uh, called Tomorrow's Children. You can see it on YouTube. And in it, he, he wrote it in honor uh, Rianne and her late husband, David Lloyd. And in this song, Tomorrow's Children, he talks about a world in which children are sitting on the beach, living in harmony and reading Eisler. Um, my advice would be one, read Rianne Eisler. Um, try to understand that this is a very practical set of ideas. It's not just scholarly. It can be applied in your family. It can be applied in your business. It can be applied in your life. It's not just Portnoy's complaint. It's not just an it awful. It's a tangible um, attempt to look at the true history of the world, of evidence that humans might be able to find a way forward. Uh, and she uses examples of not only research, but tangible uh, instances where people in the real world are making it different. I think the reason why you had me on at Rianne's request is because she found over her own experience as a mother and then as a grandmother that of all the schools in the world, the Montessori schools seem to be incredibly well in harmony with her ideas. And we agree. She explains Montessori, in my opinion, as well, if not better than we do. So in last, I would say to anyone who's listening, who's interested, not only go see the movie uh, inside Montessori or stream it on your computer, uh, find a good Montessori school uh, and, and see if they can arrange a time for you to come and sit and quietly observe and just see if you like what you see. And as I said, if you like what you see and you want to learn more, um, I'm sure that the local school would help you or go to the Montessori Foundation. Our website is www.montessori.org. And uh, we have a real telephone number and we're here to help. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Before we end the episode, I want to make sure that our listeners know that all of the resources that Tim has shared and links and documentaries that he's mentioned will be provided in the show notes for today's episode. And with that, I want to thank you again, Tim, for joining us. My pleasure. 
Thank you for listening to the Power of Partnership podcast. We're grateful to Rising Appalachia for the use of resilience as our Power of Partnership theme music. If you would like us to feature your partnership story, or if you would like to be a proud sponsor of the Power of Partnership podcast, please contact us at center at partnershipway.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will leave us a review on your favorite podcast channel. And don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released every other Tuesday. I'm Cherry Jacobs Pruitt. See you next time on the Power of Partnership podcast. I am resilient. I trust the movement. I negate the chaos. Uplift the negative. I'll show up at the table again and again and again. I'll close my mouth and learn to live.